It's official. We are back with series four. We've been plotting, we've been scheming, and we are about to bring you a lineup of incredible guests. You're about to learn some phenomenal life lessons, and this series is going to blow your mind. Sit back and get ready for another life lesson with learning as I go. We're attacked at speed, 140 k's an hour down the highway by two cars full of militia. Massive gunfight on the highway, which was just the worst experience I can ever remember. I didn't think I was coming back. This is Ollie Ollerton. You might recognize him as one of the founding stars of Channel 4's SAS Who Dares Wins. You're going to hear all about his time as a special forces armed soldier during the Iraqi war. And some of the stories that he shares with me left me shook. How do you even stay calm when you're under heavy attack, heavy gunfire in a war zone? And I slept every night for four years with a pistol under my pillow, not knowing if the door was going to get bashed in. Me and Ollie really open up on this episode about our troubled relationship to alcohol. Ollie is now sober, like myself, but has gone from sleeping with a gun under his pillow, drinking every night during the armed forces, to now being an inspiration to so many people, helping them change their lifestyles and reach their true potential. You don't have to be a mental health specialist to understand that alcohol dependency Valium dependency and being shot at on a regular basis is any good for your head. It's not. Ollie also talks during this episode about how he got attacked by a chimpanzee at the age of 10 and how this moment went on to redefine his whole life. This voice I heard in that moment said, Ollie, it doesn't end today. Get ready to hear about this story like you've never heard it before. My name's Scott Thomas. Get ready to learn another life lesson with learning as I go. Believe it. <laughs> I can't we believe have got it. the real life action man, the main man, Ollie Ellerton in the building. Thank you for being on Learning As I Go Series 4. Mate, it's amazing to be here. Look at this space. Oh, no, it's pretty fancy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but do you know what? I feel like this is the power of sobriety. Yeah. Because I always say, right, when you go sober, you might lose some friends, mm. but then you attract the right people into your life. Yeah. And that's pretty much what happened with us, like in terms mm. of you started um, commenting on some of my pictures, showing support for some of my, my yeah. content. Mm. And obviously we reached out, connected, and we've got some plans for the new year. Yeah. But yeah, the power of sobriety. Mate, we're, we are a rare breed. Go on. That's why you've got to stick together. Yeah, you're right. And then you've got to create the beliefs that other people start attracting towards that group. Yeah, but the, the thing is, though, what I love about you is that there's certain people who are sober for different reasons, but I feel like when I sat down with you before and we started talking, um, you've kind of got a similar like mindset to me around drinking stuff. Like We almost kind of, we love to talk about the craziness of it. And yeah. we, like, we go, and even when you walked in, you saw a bar, you went, shall we just get smashed? <laughs> like, even though we know we wouldn't do it, yeah. there's still that element of like sort of missing that craziness a little bit. I think it's, yeah. in those, would you relate to that? Yeah, 100%. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you can just relate to all those times back in the day, can't you, where you would actually do that. Mm. You know, we'd have probably met there. We'd probably sat having a few drinks before we even started or the whole thing would revolve around having a drink. So mm. it does make me laugh, but the thing is I would never go back to it and that's why I can laugh about it. Yeah. 
But it's, your relationship to alcohol seemed quite similar to mine. It was almost mm. like all or nothing. Yeah. In terms of like, even you said like during the filming and stuff yeah. like that and the men, the culture mm. um, and even obviously being ex-military and stuff, the yeah. culture was all around just those big nights mm. out, the crazy lad mentality. Yeah. Um, where do you think that came from? Yeah, but forget the drink. And you'll relate to that. Yeah. The fact that it's, it's not just a drink, is yeah. it? It's that all or nothing attitude relates to everything. And yeah. the middle ground is something I really struggle to do, you know, mm. with everything. So... Mm. For me, that all or nothing um, nature has been with me for a long, long time. But, you know, for me, it's like drinking was something that I established at 14, thereabouts, probably Same. even earlier. I was brought up in a brewery town, Burton-on-Trent, Staffordshire. You know, everyone was paid in beer pretty much, my whole wow. family. And it's just a natural thing to do, you know. And then I went into the military where that sort of lifestyle was really encouraged. You know, it's like you work hard, you play hard. But the trouble is you can't leave with that. Well, if you, you, you do leave with that kind of attitude and then when you take that into civilian street, you realize you have got a bit of a problem mm. because you're not working as hard as you used to work, you know, to the extremes you used to work, but then you're still doing the other behavior, which is the binge. And for me, that was like binge drinking, mm. you know, so it wouldn't be one day, you know, it would be like day one, I'm not feeling shit the next day, so I'll start drinking again. You know, it would be like days on end. You know, and it was just avoiding that uncomfortable hangover and the, and, and all the regrets and everything else. It just it just turned into that repetitive cycle. It's crazy though when you talk about that because obviously being in the military, you're so disciplined, you really fit young guys and everything mm. else. But still, that drinking played a part in that culture as well. Like, mm. It's quite surprising that because it's almost like polar opposites. Yeah, but the thing goes, it, it's it's a smokescreen, isn't right. it? You know what I mean? And this is this is the thing. You know, first of all, I didn't have a drinking problem. I had a problem that was causing me to drink, and that started for me when it, it was to mask an emotion. And that for me is a young age, you know, when you're going out there meeting girls and all this, that and the other, you rent a personality. Oh, you do? You oh, know I've mean? heard that before. Yeah. yeah. So mine was the Scotty special. I rented yeah. the Scotty special personality. Like yeah. I used to wake up in the morning and, and almost be in tears because I didn't recognize who I was. Yeah. And I felt trapped in, in that cycle. So did you, mm. could you relate to that? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, and that was, that was the outside world. That was my identity. You know, mm. Ollie, let's go mad. Let's get on, you know, let's get on it. Yeah. And I, I just seemed to be worse than everyone else. You know, even when I was in the mob, it was like, yeah, some of the stories I could tell you, but, you know, it's like I would always be the one that wanted to go out, you know, and everyone else was like staying in or something. It, it was always me that was and pushing last man, it. I bet you were the last man standing. Last man. <laughs> I wasn't last man standing because I'd, I'd have disappeared by then, end up on a detour somewhere. Yeah. Some, yeah, some craziness. So, um, yeah, it was always me that was pushing it. And, and like, even when I went out to Iraq, when I went out as a, as a contractor, mercenary, if you want to call it that, you know, we, yeah, we, we drank heavily there. And that was every day. You know what I mean? You, you're in a war zone. You've not, you've not got the, the backup support elements and everything else. And then every night we were just hitting the drink. That's crazy. Yeah, so not while we were working, but when we, were, when we weren't working, when the tools went down, the guns went down, you know, drinking every night. And I just think, I know, not think, that I was drinking more than everyone else. Because when the doors shut on the villa, I had enough stash in the bedroom to knock myself out so I could sleep. And I slept every night for four years with a pistol under my pillow, not knowing if the door was going to get bashed in. And then that developed into, you know, one thing about alcohol, it makes you make some very bad choices. And that for me, like the next day anxiety, I then started taking Valium. You don't need to be a mental health specialist to understand that alcohol dependency, Valium dependency and being shot at on a regular basis is any good for your head. 
I can guarantee you it is not. You know what I mean? So it, it was it was just that point. And that, that for me, <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story around that. And I do laugh now, but I can remember one of those moments when you, you know, one of those moments when you go, this is a problem. And that was every... Every Friday was holiday in, in Baghdad, across Iraq. You know, so Thursday night was the big party night. So just to put it into context, so you were in Iraq at this time. Yeah, was in Iraq as a contractor. So I'd left the special forces by that point. Loads of money to be made as a contractor. Right. Um, and more in two months than in a whole year as a and special forces soldier. What's the difference between being in the army and being a contractor? Contractor means that it's a bit of a wild west. Right. Yeah, like I was backed up by one other person generally when I went out on the ground. Whereas in the military, you've got all the assets and everything, you know what I mean? You can call in fast jets and everything to smash a target. You've got nothing. When you go as a contractor, you're getting the shit. The bullets start going down. You've got no one. Like, very soon after I first got there, like, we were attacked at speed, 140 k's an hour down the, down the highway by two cars full of militia and massive gunfight on, the, on the, the highway, which was just the worst experience I can ever remember. And it was horrible, mate. It was like... I didn't think I was coming back. There was two of us, eight of them, massive gunfight. We got out of it. They came off worse. And it sounds all glorious. It sounds all Hollywood, <laughs> but it was, it was horrible. It was the most horrible ever experience. And um, it was that for the first time for me, it was like, I, I didn't have that team around me. I didn't have, you know, back in the day when I was in the special forces, I'd have been like that, bring it, you know, we'd have been like, bring it on. So who were you working for then? I was actually working for, when I first got there, when that happened, I was working for ABC News. Right. So we were looking after all the news crews right. when they went in there. But, um, and then I, we evolved into having our, our own business out there. I worked for a couple of lads that set up a company. We built an army. We had 2,000 Iraqis working for us. We trained them in all bodyguard skills, weapon skills, and they did all the work for us. Um, it was a massive operation. But when you say yeah. then it was the scariest, like one of the scariest moments of your life and it wasn't nice and it wasn't a good experience. Like, why did you keep doing it? Or why would, like... Cash. Really? Yeah. But it's got to be easier ways to make cash. No, but the thing is, mate, you, like in the military, you're not, you don't earn much money at all. Even in the special forces, people think you're on Premier League wages. Yeah. You're not. You're, you're on penance. And, you know, to come out and then fight... But the thing is also on top of that, right, you've got this thing. We've all got this thing that we think that we're labelled. So you can't break out the mold. You can't break you out are. the mold. It's like we come through school and then we think that we get to the end of school and we have to choose a box that we have to fit in. And the people that struggle with that are the people that aren't prepared to sit in the box. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So for me, me coming out and then trying my best in the outside world to, to, to redefine myself, create this new person, never go back to a war zone. Within two months, I was back in a war zone because I thought that, you know, I started struggling and I thought, that's where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be in a war zone. You're supposed to be a gun-touting mercenary. I thought that was my fit. But you mentioned before, though, especially with the alcohol stuff, it's about understanding the underlying issues. Mm. It sounds like you've got yeah. some kind of personality trait, and I know you've done a lot of work yeah. on this. Yeah. Is there something that's part of you that draws you to those high-risk situations, mm. the all-or-nothing, whether it's drinking, drugs? Do you know what I mean? Is it, is Not it anymore. That, not anymore, no. But do you know what I mean? Is it something that draws no, it was, you to it that? it was, mate. And it, it, this goes back to when I was 10 years old. I got attacked by a chimp at the circus. Nearly killed me, which is a massive 
it was. I, I, do you want me to give you a bit of context? Around well, that? yeah, 100%. You've just walked in, obviously, <laughs> yeah. straight from having a tattoo yeah. of the chimp on yeah. your chest. I already had the chimp, but I've, I've had the, you had the it red mist. Right, you've had it, the red mist it. on it. Yeah. So you're obviously, like, which is mad, you're celebrating mm. this chimp now. And I've heard yeah. briefly about this, this story, yeah. but you were 10 and you were attacked mm. by a chimp. Yeah, yeah, at the circus. And it was like we went, we knew the circus was in town. We went down there, they were setting up, asked if we could have a look around. And like it was 1980, you could actually walk around a wild. You know, a circus with wild animals. There was no health yeah. and safety. And I was drawn to the split in the side of the canvas. And I went through, as soon as I opened this canvas, the sun hit me in the eyes, blurred my vision. But when it cleared, I saw something in front of me that was absolutely incredible. And that was a baby chimp. That for me was like, I don't know, a girl seeing Tom Hardy naked. There was nothing sexual, but yeah, it, yeah. you know what I mean? It was it like was this little baby moment. chimp. It was like, I was, in, I was infatuated with Tarzan at that age as, as a 10 year old boy. So I saw this chimp and I'm like, oh my God. And I made my way to the chimp and then it started, you know, I can remember it looked up at me with these beautiful big brown eyes and it sounds weird, but we connected. There was a moment. And then it started picking stuff off the floor and I realized it was, it was trying to feed me. So it started passing me this food and I'm like, this is incredible. I'm like this baby David Attenborough. Mm. You know what I mean? It was, it was incredible. So I'm not going to eat it because it's disgusting, but I was sliding it down my cheek and just throwing it over the, over my shoulder. But then that moment was broken, like a fighter jet cutting through the skies. I heard this roar that I still remember to this day. And that was something moving in the shadows behind, underneath the trailer, which was clearly mummy or daddy that saw me as the threat and just came at me in Mat 10. Blue sky turned oh to black as this thing pounced through the air, landed on my chest and just started, it went mental. First fist came down, knocked everything out of me. It was like a drummer in a rock band and I was the drum. But you're only 10 years old. 10 years age old, as well. yeah. So for yeah. a fully grown chimp. 50 kilograms. I didn't get a chance to wear it, but it was fucking big. Wow. <laughs> wow. And then next thing, it starts biting me. Like it's, I can feel the flesh coming off my arms and, and there's blood flying everywhere. And that's when I, my life flashed in front of me. I was going to die. And that is the moment for me when I went to a different place. I'd not been there before. And that was this inner strength this inner potential, this voice I heard in that moment that said, Ollie, it doesn't end today. And that's what gave me enough courage to retaliate against the chimp. You retaliated? Yeah, managed to wrestle with the chimp, got my knee up to my chest, smashed my foot out as hard as possible, kicked it in the chest. It sort of fell on the floor. And then that was my moment to escape. And I was scurrying across the floor like an upside down spider. And this thing got to its feet and it was coming at me even angrier this time. And I thought, that's it, I'm dead. And honestly, it got to me there before the chain caught it around the neck. No way. If it wasn't for that chain, I wouldn't be here today. So you remember in that moment, like a voice inside you yeah. telling you to, to fight back, yeah. to, to, to keep going. Mm. Yeah. Even at that age. Yeah. Because yeah. I didn't think even at that age you'd have that kind of, that awareness. Really. Well, you wouldn't think that at all, would you? But the thing is, when you're backed into a corner, and a lot of people don't get to see that, when you're backed into a corner, you find out, the real you, you find out that inner strength that we all have, all of us have that. But the thing for me, that moment was so significant because first of all, that was my first break point. Mm. That's obviously the name of my first book, name of my business. Break point is the moment we step into short-term discomfort for long-term gain. And the, the short-term discomfort for me was fighting a grown chimp. The long-term benefit of that 
was the fact I'm here to tell the story. Yeah, I know, but when I've, I've read this when you said yeah. this, like, because you wouldn't step in to fight a chimp. Does that make sense? I get like, say for example, stepping into cold water. If you'd have asked me the day before or a few hours before, would you fight a chimp, I'd have run for the hills. You know yeah. what I mean? I would never, it would have been the most horrific thing I can imagine. But the thing is in that moment when you know you're going to die, things change. So do you feel like even now, and it's a really hard thing to say, like, would you have changed that experience? No. Wow. No. And that's why I've got the chimp on my chest. Wow. Do you know what I mean? It was such an amazing experience. Obviously not the moment, not in that moment, it was, it was hideous. But that would be one thing that that inner strength then helped me get through special forces selection twice. And when I, when I really spiraled down, went through mental health issues, thinking about suicide, that is the one thing, tapping into that inner potential was the one thing that brought me back. It's so crazy for me to hear you describe mm. it as an amazing experience. Because mm. I've even got shivers now thinking about it, but... I kind of get it. I kind yeah. of get where you, yeah. you're trying to, trying to get to it. It built an, like a character inside you mm. that cannot be broken. Yeah. And a lot of people go through life never experiencing that, mm. I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, it's such a weird kind of... But it's those extremes, mate. It's those extremes you talk about. It's like, like even when... Like I appreciate now that I actually crashed and burned so hard that I started thinking about suicide. Because if I hadn't, I might be, still be the person I was. I know, but I kind of... When I've been through dark times with my relationship to alcohol, mm. stuff like that, don't get me wrong, I'm almost like grateful I went through it to get to this point. But yeah. I remember when I broke my leg, like my mm. motocrossing, snapped my leg in like two, three places. Got airless to hospital. Yeah. It was the most pain I've mm. ever been in. And if I'm honest, I don't really know <laughs> what benefit I've got out of that situation, apart from I've got a rod in my leg now. So if you ask me to go back and go through that again, or maybe... Ask, Maybe I'm not took the lessons that I should. I tell you what, though, I never went back on a motorbike again, which you're not going <laughs> to like. You go. There you're, you go. You're not going to like because you love motorbikes. Yeah. But I've never been on a motorbike again, so maybe that was my sign not yeah. to go back. I don't know. So maybe, and just because of that one, because I did love motorbikes. Mm. I grew up on crosses as kids and stuff. So maybe that's the, the sign I took from that, and maybe that's my destiny. Yeah. But yeah, it's really interesting how you say that. But at the same time is, like you said, it powered you through to achieve great things. And mm. I've read, obviously, that out of 250 people, mm. um, you went from the, the Royal Marine Commandos, is that yeah. right, to then... The SAS selection and then the Special Boat Service. That's right. Yeah. And you made it through out of 250 yeah. people. Only seven people got through mm. and you were one of the seven. Yeah. Like, what does it take? What did they put mm. you through to get to that process? Is it very similar to what we see on the show? Uh, not really. I mean, that's just, at the end of the day, the, the show is around the mental robustness. You know, we put them through. You imagine someone that's never been in the military before being thrown in front of us where they've totally got to surrender to us. They've totally got to hand over control. They can't design the perfect outcome. That is as severe as us being on selection for six months. We were mm -hmm. on selection for six months for that, to get through that 250 to seven. For us, we have to go through certain different modules that are military, very mil military focused. Mm -hmm. You know, there's got to be, I always say that special forces selection doesn't train you to be a special forces soldier per se. It gives you the basic skills so you can fit into a team straight away. But the real learning is done when you actually join your team. Right. But the things they, t you know, like it's just intense all the time being judged. And i tell you what, the biggest thing, one of the biggest things and the things we try to do in the show or have tried to do in the show is the fact that that external gratification, when people have that taken away from them, it's a massive shock. And that starts, you imagine when as soon as you're a young kid and you come out from school with your first picture that you've painted and your mum is like that, oh, that's brilliant. It goes straight on the mm. fridge. We get addicted to external gratification yep. for everything and that becomes part of our programme. 
the thing is, for the first time ever, you're like doing well on special forces selection. You can be front of the pack. But the thing is, because no, no one's patting you on the shoulder and saying that was brilliant, your mind starts to eat away. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of people on selection fail themselves because they don't think they're good enough. It's not because they're not good enough. Oh, yeah, because I'm so reliant on, on, on like validation we from other are. people. We all so are. even during that training, so you can be yeah. going through hell and you can be achieving great things, but they're, they're what they call the, the DS. The DS is they won't give you any kind of nothing, praise. Nothing. And it's that intentional. Could, that's intentional because in war, no one's going to be there saying that was a good shot. Right. You know what I mean? Right. No one's going to be there to G you on when things are really going bad. So, how, so when you're going through that process mm. and you're going through hell and you're relying on your own kind of self esteem. Mm. And self-belief. I think self-belief is a big thing that we talk mm. about on this podcast a lot. What are you saying to yourself to get through those times? Are you bigging yourself up? Are you inside your head going, Ollie, you are the man. You like, you've it's got this. It's a fight. It's a battle, mate. But the right. thing is, the only one thing I was saying, I didn't even know I was really doing it back then, but I've, you know, it's something I've always done, is that the focus on the end goal. And for me, that is to create that image of what you want to achieve and add feeling to that. So that becomes your focus, regardless, you can't control the journey, but you can focus. When things are getting really tough, just keep remembering that picture of you at the end and how good that absolutely feels. So what picture would you see at the end of that then? I saw myself as a special forces soldier in a nice house and I had this life as a, you know, everything that you can imagine, but all this cool, awesome special forces soldier, you know. Yeah. But the thing is the perception that I created was so far away from reality. And that's when I actually got to the end of Special Forces selection. I just didn't feel like I was achieved anything. Oh, I did feel I achieved, but I didn't feel like I got to the end and was quite disappointed. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, like it all through all the way through my career, I actually got to that point and think, I don't really believe I was actually for the military. Oh, really? Yeah, and I'm one of the first person. Yeah, I don't hear many people saying that. I ju I just didn't feel at home. Do you feel like a lot of people talk about this? Like we focus on the destination so much. Yeah. And that when you get there, it's never as good as you think it's going to be. Like mm. I've been listening to some podcasts recently with guys who floated their businesses for billions of pounds. Yeah. And they say, literally on that day, nothing changes. Mm. And, and, and it's not about the destination. It's about enjoying what you're doing every single day. But I suppose when you're training mm. in that kind of intensity, it's not enjoyable. Yeah, but it is though. It is the, the whole thing, that whole competitive spirit about, you know, being... And that's something that I think a lot comes down to ego, which you've got plenty of when you're a younger lad, but actually competing against other people and being better and, and like, that makes you feel alive. You know mm. what I mean? And so that's in, along the journey, that is something that you do enjoy. Mm. And I think I enjoyed that bit so much that it got to the end. And I was like, but this is where you have to make sure. I mean, this is, I mean, something I'm aware of now. I wasn't aware of that then, but as soon as you start getting clarity on your goal, you can see it, you can almost touch it. You've got to start recreating what the next thing is because it's not about stopping on target. It's about going through the target and carrying on. Mm. You know, it's, and as they say, it might be cliche, but the growth is in the journey. Mm. You know, that's where you grow. That's where the, all the work is done. That's where you learn everything. That's mm. why the destination when you get there, it's not actually that. Oh, it's so hard to just enjoy the journey though, Ollie. <laughs> Do you know, like, for example, in business, right? Business yeah. that can be, you know yourself, you're an entrepreneur now. There's tough days, there's shitty days, there's yeah. days when you get really get tested and people go, enjoy the journey. And I get it, like you're growing and mm. you're learning lessons. But like when you're working nonstop all hours yeah. of the day and you're drained, you've got nothing else to give to mm. people around you, it's very difficult to enjoy the journey. I get the concept of it. Yeah, I get about like 
sort of embracing the growth that's happening yeah. and the lessons that you're learning mm. and stuff like that. I think some of the best business people, for example, mm. and anybody who's trying to achieve goals, they kind of detach emotion yeah. from stuff. Yeah. Does that make sense? And I think that mm. probably makes it easier. I'm quite emotional about mm. what I'm going through and the yeah. people that I'm working with and the situations I'm in because I like to be liked by everybody. Yeah. So I don't know if there's something about kind of getting some distance on that, but enjoying the process is something that I'm always trying to... But I know what you mean because it's like in business, it's like sometimes I have to question, I don't enjoy it. You know what I mean? We've been like seven years now, we've been at, you know, constantly at break point and it's changed and shaped and gone in different directions and now I believe where we are is brilliant because it's where we should have been from the start, but that's all been part of the journey. But sometimes it's like this morning before I left my house, you know, my, my wife is saying to me, it just seems like we're always like just never getting to our destination. It almost seems, you know, we're always working at it and it just doesn't seem and it like... Does, do you know what? It's so weird. I posted something on social media last night. It's like, it's so hard basically waking up every single day, putting 100% in yeah. and sometimes not even moving. Mm. And that's the hardest bit about keep going. Yeah. But then like, I think in a different way of using your word break point, I think there are certain yeah. moments though where you just keep going. I've got a mate who had a business. I'll talk about it actually. It's called Adenola. And mm. it's a really successful uh, women's female brand. But I was with him in New York a few years ago and he's been running it for so many years. And I said, mate, like, do you not thought, thought about giving up? Mm. And he just said, no, because I believe in it too much. Yeah. And literally lockdown hit, it changed his whole business and he's absolutely flying out, multi-million yeah. pound business. Yeah. And I think, you know what, it's stories like that mm. that basically inspire me to keep going. But I think but I think there's an element of, as long as you are really focused on your purpose, you know what your purpose is mm. and you're trying to do something great with it. Yeah. And I think that's probably the thing that kind of needs to drive you forward. It is, mate. And the, the, the strong thing for me, right, it's the first time everything changed for me because I was just focused on money, money, money. It was all, you know, I left the military, and then I went to Iraq and it was all about the money. That's the thing that got me to Iraq because I said I'd never go back to a war zone. And that changed for me at, one, at this certain point. And that was when I actually went to Southeast Asia. We were rescuing kids from human trafficking. Wow. We were finding these camps in, in Northern Thailand where all the kids were being held. We were getting in there before the cartels got there, getting them out, getting them to an orphanage. I wasn't even being paid for that, but it's the best investment I ever made. And when I say that is for the first time ever, something more important than money sat in the seat. Money became a byproduct, and I had so much passion for what I was doing that that became in the forefront. That was the thing that drove me forward. Mm. And that would be the thing that created the passion for Breakpoint. Mm. So really rescuing those kids, although it finished abruptly due to a massive political incident, we had to escape out of Thailand, but um, it was understanding the power of helping other people. Mm. And that coupled with my own mental health battles would become the heartbeat of Breakpoint. If you've only just started listening to this podcast and you don't know much about my story, I have been on a journey of self-development over the last four years. I've gone from being a glorified party boy out three nights a week to now being an influencer for self-development and I've even got my very own podcast. But it's not been a straightforward journey and I've had to pull on so many different life lessons and utilize so many different tools to get me to this point. And over the last three and a half years, I've been passing on and sharing all the knowledge that I've learned along the way with thousands of members through my business, Food for Thoughts. I don't even like to call it a business because Food for Thoughts is so much more than that to me. It's an extension of my life. And I've now made it my mission to help as many people as possible achieve the same lifestyle change that I've managed to achieve over the last few years. 
So if you're stuck in a rut and you want to achieve your potential and you want to feel happy and content and finally have some balance in your life, then Food for Thoughts is a one-stop shop for everything that you need. We don't just focus on one area. If you want to lose weight or you want to gain weight, great, we've got you covered. If you want to improve your fitness, if you want to become stronger mentally, take on new challenges, or even go for that new job that you want to go for, Food for Thoughts covers everything. But guess what? If you want to be connected to like-minded people, because that is so important when you're trying to achieve a goal, we've got the best community you will ever experience waiting to help you on your journey. So if you want to find out more, check out Food for Thoughts and head over to www.f4t.com and someone will be there waiting to get you started. So talk, let's talk about your mental health battles then. Like, yeah. obviously you've been through some dark moments. Like mm. the scene on the road, obviously yeah, yeah, when yeah. Um, it was open fire between you and a different yeah. group of people. Yeah. Like, have you been in loads of different situations in war like that? Mate, I wouldn't say loads enough. You know yeah. what I mean? I think... But, but you talked about before about sleeping every single night. Yeah. For four years with a gun underneath yeah. your bed. I mean, for Joe Bloggs and myself and people mm. here listening to this, like we've never been in a situation yeah. like that. It sounds like something out of some kind of Hollywood movie, like yeah. you, said, you said before. Like surely that is going to lead to mental health problems and issues. Absolutely, mate. You know, at the end of the day, it's like for me, when I was in the military, there wasn't loads of wars going on. Mm. which for me is probably a lot of the reason I left because, you know, I I was craving this war. Really? I was searching for war. I wanted to be at war every day. And when you say you're searching for war, what did you want to get out of that war? I don't know. I just thought it was my calling. I thought it's where I needed to be. It's, thought, it's where I would feel at peace. And I was, I was chasing that war everywhere. I was looking for that war. I then realized some years later when I did crash and burn that the war wasn't outside there. It was in here. Wow. And that's the thing, you know, when I did crash and burn, that was the first time when I actually sat there and said, right, I'm going to war with the chimp. And that was when I started thinking about suicide and I, I said no more. That was another breakpoint moment for me because I went, I am not repeating this shit anymore. I was just a repeat pattern of my history. It was just mayhem, absolute mayhem. I think this is brilliant, right? Because we have these experiences in life. And I think that if you invest in yourself and you grow and learn each and every day, you start to unravel everything in the past. And that then helps you learn the roadmap forward. Mm. So for me, looking back on that, right, when I sat in that moment and I started thinking about suicide, I never attempted it, but I started thinking about it. Again, I heard that voice. It doesn't end like this. There's something more for you. I heard that. I started thinking, I, this is why I say I went to war with a chimp because this is what was happening. When I look back on my history, right, I, I achieved some amazing things, special forces selection, this, that, and the other. And every time I got some kind of success, I got some stability and it was good and I was felt great, I would then get a grenade out, pull the pin and throw it in. Self-sabotage. And cause massive chaos. So you go back to the 10-year-old boy, right? What happened on that day? Amazing, amazing event. The circus had come to town. Amazing, I saw the chimp. So excited and everything else. Then what happened? Absolute chaos. I repeated that pattern all the way through my life. Wow. With my military career, with my relationships, with my job, with my family, everything. I created that pattern. So it's almost like every time you got something good, you felt like it was just, it, you couldn't really have the good without the bad. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And it was like, I needed to create chaos in that moment, that moment of stability. Oh, and I, 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 I repeated that pattern. It's like when I look back and, and I'm always, like I said, learning and growing and stuff, but I now understand like the, the subconscious mind, which is 95% of your program. And we've only got 5% of creative mind. So 95% of your life is the program. 
Right, this is serendipity right now because I'm reading a book now at the moment yeah. called The Power of Your Subconscious Mind. Yeah. And I'm reading it's all about this and, and I'm yeah. I'm trying to believe what he's saying. Yeah. Like, and I get it in yeah. certain elements, but then he talks about like, obviously people being healed from being blind all their life and everything else mm. just through the power of subconscious mind. But it's so weird, I'm reading that book at, at this right, is that yeah. moment. Yeah. So it's so weird you just mentioned that. Yeah, so three, three things with the subconscious mind. From the ages of zero to seven, you are being programmed. You learn mm. more in those seven years than you'll learn for the, your whole life. Mm. And this is something like the Jesuits have been teaching their following for over 400 years. Give me the boy until he is seven and I will show you the man. Because through those seven years, that is when your brain is one brain function. You don't have the separation between the frontal cortex and the subconscious. Mm. So basically you are on record. Oh, wow. So everything around you, your siblings, your environment, your parents, you are on constant record. Mm. I think a lot of people, they think they're, oh, they're too young, they won't understand. These kids are on record and a lot of people say to me, how do we help you know, shape our kids for the future? And I say, be, be the person that you act and be the person that you want them to be because they're picking up on it all the time, seven years old. So anyway, that's the first thing. The second thing is high emotional impact. 10 years old, that was a high emotional impact for me. And that can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing. High emotional impact, I got attacked by the chimp. So that would be significant. And what happens in that moment is your brain actually takes a snapshot and adds an emotion to it. And that becomes your long-term memory. And the third thing to change the subconscious mind is practice repeat. So they're the only three ways that you can influence the subconscious mind thereabouts. But you've got to understand that 95% of our world around us is created from that program that we learned from zero yeah, to seven. It, make, it makes so much sense because every time I go and see my therapist, like when I first went to see him, he used to sit down and just mm. like, tell me about your childhood. I went, don't worry about my childhood. Yeah. I had a good childhood. He went, no, no, no. Everything stems yeah. back from there. So for example, when he says that I rely on external validation, because mm. my dad wasn't around from yeah. the age of six to 12, he went, so you're always looking for love. You wanted love, mm. so you tried to get it from wherever you could get it from. Yeah. And and like both my brothers being mm. in the limelight on soaps and being famous from a young yeah. age and me then trying to look for attention in that way yeah. as well to try and compete with them. So I get it all goes back to your childhood as well. Mm. How do you, how do you break that circuit mm. um, in terms of like how did you right? So you realised in that moment, I find comfort and familiarity in basically self sabotage, mm. and, and I, I can relate to that as well. It's like yeah. almost when things are going really well for me, mm. I'm looking for a problem. Yeah, I literally, I will find a problem if mm. business is going well. I'll look in my personal life. If a yeah. personal life is going well, yeah. I look for my business. It's do you know what I mean? It's mm. always something that I need to improve and work on. How, and I'm aware of it. Mm. I'm aware of it, but how do you break that circuit? What work did you do? Well, really, well, for, for me, you know, it's like when I was in that house, you know, when I said enough's enough, yeah. I, I locked myself in a house for three months. Well, I actually came back to the UK, which I'd said I'd never do, but I realized that my business break point, I had to come back here because I had the credibility of being a special forces soldier in the UK. And that's what my business was kind of, of about back then. So when I came back to the UK 2014, I realized that I wanted, I had a business that was helping people, but broken people break people. And for me, I was broken. Right. So I couldn't go out there and be the person of the, that was this, you know, model of inspiration and motivation and everything else until I fixed who I was. So for three months, I concentrated on three things. I locked myself in a house in Cornwall, which my family had a spare home, but mind, body, and nutrition. And I, did stuff that I didn't know if they worked. 
I didn't understand whether they worked or not. I had no idea, but I had nothing else. I had no money, no nothing. My peers would still laugh at me for, some people still laugh at me, I don't really care, but meditation, visualization, goal setting, listening positive, positive podcasts every day. And I did the same thing every day, knew nothing about the TV program. And I had this visualization every day that I would start this business where I would have all these people that would come to us, corporates mainly, but we would put them through a very similar special forces selection. And then through that, we would help them get underneath the skin of their ego or basically get underneath the skin of who they were to really start to develop from the inside. Mm. That was the whole business model this every when, day. And this is when you were literally broke. I was broke. No, no yeah. direction. Yeah. And you were just spending this time working yourself yeah. and visualizing what the future could look like. So the, sh the show, SES yeah. Who Dares Wins, didn't even exist. Didn't even this exist. was something that you were visualizing. Yeah. And you even said to me before that you used to walk down the stairs in the morning and like sit down and shake hands with, myself, the, with, the, with future the future Ollie. me. Yeah. Tell me a I little bit about that. I used to do that in my meditation. And that's the thing I used to do because going into the meditation and everything, which I found it really hard to do, or found it really hard to do back then, I still find it quite challenging because your mind is all over the place. But for me, it was about, I, I used to have this meditation where I used to go down these stairs, you know, dropping down the stairs, counting. And then I would open the door and I would meet me. And I met me in six months, the person that I wanted to be. So that person looked fit, his skin looked healthy, his eyes looked clear, had expensive watch on his arm, you know, and it was the model of what I wanted. And I used to meet that person every day. And that was one of my visualizations through my meditation. And, and you said you used a, to have a chat with him as well, didn't you? Yeah, I used to talk what, to him. What did you talk, talk to him about? You know, about just about, the, you know, what he's doing and stuff like that. Wow. And he would tell me, you know, and uh, I was getting him to tell me exactly what I wanted to be doing. Oh, there was wow. nothing about the TV show or anything like that. But the thing is, every day going through that meditation and everything about, this, you know, doing this, the breakpoint, special forces experience and all this, that and the other. And then also being in front of big crowds on stages, you know, being able to influence them through my experiences and knowledge and everything else, blah, blah, blah. But the fact is I would go into that experience and I would live it. I could feel the shirt on my back, the watch, the expensive watch on my arm, the shoes on my feet. I tasted that experience in my spit. I, it was, I was that close to it. And then at the end of three months, I'm like going, nothing's happening. My family are getting concerned about me thinking you need to go back to a war zone. That's where you earn money. <laughs> They didn't know the truth about what went on back there. So they, you know, they thought that was a good thing for me. They thought, they must've thought you turned into like a Mr. Miyagi's, like, <laughs> like hid, hid, hid away. It does sound like no, they were a, a recluse. Yeah. yeah, a recluse. But, um, and then I can remember I was so frustrated. I was like, I shouted at the top of my voice in this house, just give me something. Wow. Nothing happened. And then two days later, the phone rang and that was channel four. What? Channel 4, well, it's Foxy, actually. It was off the show as well, saying, you know that thing, the idea you've got for that business, would you do it on telling? Shut up. And I was like, truth. Wow. So what's happened now? I did the TV show, which was basically a carbon copy of what I'd visualized. And I'm on stage constantly, day in, day, week in, week out, talking to groups of people exactly as the visualization. Wow. I mean... That is out there, but at the same time, I can kind of relate to it a little bit because there have been there mm. has been moments where, and it's hard to say because when you read all these books, the power of your subconscious mm. mind. For example, they say you've got to believe it, and it's really hard because I'll say something and sometimes I don't really believe what I'm saying. But there's times when, for example, when I hit rock bottom mm. with, with my drinking and stuff, I could see myself speaking to people about my story mm. with alcohol, yeah, because I knew it would help a lot of people, and. I could see myself in amazing shape and everything else. And literally, 
in that six months of me quitting drinking, I became Scott from, I don't know, Food for Thoughts. I lost my mm. wellness brand, everything else. And, and in the space of six months, I went from being a party boy to owning my own wellness brand, yeah. talking to people about sobriety. <laughs> and I was like, wait a sec. And I, and I went back to Abu Dhabi just recently. That's yeah. where I was in a really low place. And I even had this pebble again that I talk about a lot because I want mm. to remember that feeling because I really believed it. Like I really yeah. believed it. Yeah, yeah. And I think it is in those moments when you really believe it. And like you mm. said, you could you taste it in your spit, which I think was a great way to describe it. <laughs> a bit raw, but I love it. <laughs> I think it's in those moments you really believe that stuff can happen. And then I did it recently. I was literally, because I was reading that book, I went to this balcony in Abu Dhabi and I was like, I'm attracting abundance. I'm attracting members to Food Thoughts. I'm attracting success. I'm attracting these things. And like we launched a campaign the night before and it never usually takes off the way it did. And yeah. I'm not just saying it because of this, but I, I, the next day we had the most amount of signups we've had in a very long time. And I know people can say that spiritual don't get it, but I think what is the harm in putting it out there anyway? Like, yeah, but the thing is people are doing the negative things and then get more of the same and then saying, oh, the law of attraction doesn't work. Yeah, and, and it's that self-talk going like, for example, I don't know, like my ankle now, I've sprained mm. all my ligaments in my ankle. And <laughs> when people have been asking me, my usual reaction is, yeah, it's a bad one, this. I'm going to be out for a few months. But because yeah. I'm reading this book, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's all right. Um, I'm going to be healed in, in no time. And even <laughs> when I'm saying it, I'm really struggling to you believe it. You don't have it. to believe it, though. But at the same time, is, yeah. if I do think that, then I'm going to have more motivation to still mm. do the rehab and, and, and get, get moving rather than yeah. being defeated. So I think mm. there's a lot of like power in just, even if you're putting out to the universe, mm. like, and, and like I said, I'm talking about sobriety and stuff like that. And it attracts people like you into my mm. life as well. And I think there's a lot of power in just putting out positive stuff to the universe. Yeah. And you're, you're living proof of that. 100%. And the thing is, again, like this is stuff I've recently learned as well. But when you hold a thought in your mind, the brain becomes the chemist. Oof. And what happens basically, when you think about a certain thing, you hold a picture in your mind, your brain releases certain chemicals to match that image you've got in your head mm. so if you're thinking about love there's all different chemicals that are released to to basically create that effect it's complementary medicine mm. so when you're saying about your your ankle that is giving you complementary medicine to, to mend it mm. i think it's interesting i think like again sobriety the number one thing i think it gives you is clarity and self-awareness yeah and if everybody was super clear on who they were mm. and aware then the world would be an uproar because yeah. nobody would be wanting to settle for what they've got. And, and uh, do you know what I mean? They've not, it's a control mechanism. Yeah, yeah. In terms I, I of believe it's a, such a control mechanism. But I, I, you, you're totally right. You imagine like a organization, like you imagine the construction industry, massive problem with the construction industry around drinking, suicide and everything else. You imagine if you just change their culture or their relationship with alcohol, it would change that organization overnight. Mm. And it, it's the same for society in general, isn't it? Mm. If you got people to really focus on their relationship with alcohol and, and really start to question what value it's adding to their lives, mm. it will change everything. But here's a question for you. Um, mm. So I've spoken to someone recently. It's actually the, the CEO of One Year No Beer, Rory. I had a podcast with him yesterday. No, that's mad. <laughs> so he's, he's so intelligent. And, I, and he yeah. talks about how... He still drinks every now and then, which yeah, I was really yeah. shocked by. I was like, yeah. wait a second. So you run this program that's obviously mm. about being alcohol-free and everything yeah. else, but you still drink it? Yeah, because I don't believe in like abstinence. He goes, I believe in getting everybody to the point where they can take it or leave it. Yeah. And it links back to what you said before about 
understanding what it is with inside you that makes you feel mm. like you have to be all or nothing. Yeah. Have you got, and obviously you don't drink now. No. So have you got to the point where you figured out what that catalyst is, is inside you that makes you go all or nothing? Yeah, I, I, I don't really think that's disappeared. It's just that I choose different habits and behaviors that offer me better choices and outcomes. Do you know, it's like, for me, it's like, Everything I do has to be an extreme still, but I make good choices around what that is. You know, it's like, you know, I could sit back and do nothing. I, could, I don't have to go and climb Everest next year. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to climb Amadablam 2022. You know what I mean? I could just sit and do nothing, but I just, but <sighs> that then again comes to the fact that we, I, I'm a strong believer in the fact that so many people around, especially doing what I do, that are still banging on about a benchmark of the past. What are you doing today? Mm. that's very good you did that, but what are you doing today and what are you doing in the future? You know, that's my question. And it's, it's really important for me that I've, if I'm going to put that message out there, then that I've got to be demonstrating what I'm talking about. Mm. And I really think we all should be looking to create the story we'd love to be told. And so what is it, the message, the main message you're putting out there? Is it something about progression mm. and growth? Like growth as a human being. I think that's what we talked about last yeah. time. Like in terms of like, you said there are meant to be times in life where you do re retreat into the mm. comfort zone yeah. because they're really important. Yeah. But there always has to be those moments in yeah. life where you're pushing yeah. yourself to the limits and out of your comfort zone. Mm. And obviously you climbed, what was the name of the mountain last year? Amadablam. And that, is that the second highest? No, it's, it's not It's not that high to be honest, 6,812 meters, but it's more technical than Everest. Yeah, so it's yeah. a technical climb. Yeah. And you did, did you do that with Nims? Nims, yeah. The guy from the Netflix series yeah, yeah, who yeah, climbed. Yeah. What did he climb now? He's 14 peaks. So he basically broke a seven... Well, the previous record was seven years for what he did in six, just over six months. <laughs> so, I mean, I watched that. That was yeah. insane. So you're now looking at um, attempting Mount Everest next year. Everest Is that year. happening or? Yeah, it will happen. It will happen. Yeah, it's going to happen April next year. Right. So let yeah, me get yeah. my head around this because obviously there's a, there's a high risk of something going wrong. Mm. Uh, is, it called, um, is it called a death zone? It's a death zone once you get over 8,000 meters. If something goes wrong, a small thing can go wrong after 8,000 and it can, it can have massive implications because of the need for oxygen and everything else and you're not going to get a rescue. And Ollie, are you a good climber? Because you're just talking about this here, like mm. it's nonchalant. Have you got well, much experience like climbing mountains? Is, is like... Yeah, <laughs> I would say I'm a decent climber. But the thing is, I'm, I don't want to then take it away and, and then sort of say this is only... I think everyone can climb a mountain, you know, given the right steer in. And this is, this is really what I wish people... I wish these people like these mountaineers and stuff like that would really start to open up. You know, we, we seem to have in life all these different cliques. And once people are in these cliques, they close the door and they don't want to embrace everyone to do things. Mm. This is why Nims is so good at what he's done, because basically he's opened it up and said it is possible for everyday people to go and climb a mountain. Right. So I don't want to sit there and say, well, I'm a good climber. I was in mountain troop when I was in the special forces but it didn't give me, it wasn't about climbing high peaks in the special forces. It was about getting to target across mm. a mountain range or, or whatever. But I think I'm, I think I'm pretty good at, you know, meeting the challenge. Well, I, I, should, I, I should hope so if you're going to climb Mount Everest. But I think obviously your biggest skill set is that, that self-belief, that mindset. Mm. And I think that's going to be play a massive part in taking on something like that. Yeah. But when you talk about all or nothing, I mean, yeah. that's pretty much all. Because you can't really get much bigger than Mount Everest. Well, the thing is, I mean, it's the highest peak, isn't it? It's got to be done. So, But I love that mentality, though, because I think 
whenever in life I get to a point where I find myself in cruise control, mm. I automatically don't feel happy in myself. Yeah. And it's weird. So even though it's so mad because I'm complaining when I'm being stressed mm. and pushed too much. Yeah. And I'm complaining when I'm just like in cruise yeah. control. So I think it is about embracing that journey, embracing the struggles. And I think that's probably why, mm. linking back to the story about the chimp where you call it an amazing moment mm. because of the growth that yeah. happened and took place yeah. in, in that moment as, as tough as it was. Mm. Ollie, it's been, I mean, we could sit here for hours. We could maybe it, do a part two. We need to do a part two, but just yeah. to, to, to finish the, the conversation, I'm just going to ask you for like your biggest life lesson. Mm. Like what would you say is your biggest life lesson? Because obviously you've done the military. Yeah. You've, you've been in, in, in the, the TV industry now. You've got your mm. business. Um, you, you obviously yeah. you've got your personal life now. Is your wife you with yeah. now? Yeah. So it's like out of all those lessons mm. and those different areas, what would you say has been your biggest life lesson? Biggest life lesson for me was it's not out there. It's in here. Ooh. You know what I mean? And this is the thing we are programmed to believe success, happiness, everything is external. And it's not, you can't change the energy of anything. You can't change your external world unless you change the energy of who you are. Oh, I love that. Here's a question for you then. Mm. People ask me all the time, like, what does success mean to me? What does success mean to you? Success to me means my happiness, my internal happiness. You know, and, and that's it for me. It's not about, it's not really, you know, ask me a few years ago, it would have been, no, oh, it's money and this, that, and the other. But really at the end of the day, it's, it's happiness. Just mm. being happy, being feeling fulfilled, feel like I'm absolutely contributing to society. You know, my, my business is all around something in the service of others, which is something very rewarding. Mm. But that's it for me. It's, it's quite a simple thing. You know, I do, I do believe that we should always, you know, I, I think there's a lot of issues around. One thing I'll say about, you know, there's a lot of issues with mental health and stuff in the world today. And I think that's a good thing, but I think it's also a bad thing. And the reason I say that is because there's a message out there at the moment that says it's okay to not be okay. I agree to the, with that to a point, but they haven't finished it off. Now it should be, it's okay to not be okay, but now is the point to do something about it. And really for me, it's like, when you don't finish that message, it's like, that's an acceptance speech for failure. You imagine the person that doesn't really want to put the hand up and say they're struggling at the moment. They hear that message and go, oh, well, this is normal. I'll just go back into my shell. Mm. You know, so I think, I think it's good, but I, I think the answer to a lot of mental health, health issues and just people feeling alive in general is the fact we should always be aiming for something bigger. Ooh, I love that. Mm. That, that, that sense of purpose. Yeah. And contributing to other people. I think that's what I've managed to find in what I'm doing, especially with Food Thoughts. And you've obviously found that with Breakpoint. You've got an app coming soon. Yeah, right? no, that's, that's, that's already happened. So for me, I mean, I do loads of talks to businesses and the only way that I can really start to scale up is, is through the app. And also the fact you, you obviously know as well as I do that you can't change someone in an hour. You can't change someone in a couple of days. You know, when we used to do events and stuff like that, you can't change the, all mm. those years of programming. And it takes someone to step in and absolutely want to commit and it takes, it's an ongoing process. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's an ongoing, continuous improvement model, which we should all be. Yeah. And and obviously in January, we're going to be linking up. Um, you're doing a I'm big... glad you mentioned that. Yes. I was getting the absolutely in the shit if we yes. didn't talk about this. So basically in January, tell us a little bit more. We're doing this big race at the end of January to celebrate yeah. dry, dry January. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've partnered up with uh, Alcohol Change. Right. So um, 
I've always been conscious that there's a lot of people now signing up for Dry Jan. I mean, the numbers are going through the roof now. And that's really, you know, I ask people the question, you know, there's a lot of people you say to them, have you got a drink problem? They go, no, I haven't got a drink problem. Well, could you put it down for a month then? Mm. You know, and just give your body a bit of a reset, a bit of a, you know, re recalibrate. Some people at the end of that journey might want to carry on. Some mm. people will want to carry on, definitely. But at least just give yourself that break so you know in your head that you're not, addicted you're not dependent and you're the one that's in control so basically i think it's a lot better for people to have something to aim for at the end of january mm. also the fact that throughout the whole uh, month of jan we'll have podcasts like this yeah yeah, yeah. we're going to be do, you know helping those people really 100 get committed and, and, and immersed like you said before yeah. at the end of dry january everybody seems to celebrate yeah, dry jam with getting pissed, getting shit faced. So yeah. to have like a race yeah. and, and something like that to look forward to. So it's going to be a big race with like a, an event around it. Yeah, basically right? it'd be it's well we've got an event down at Pippinford Park, which is in East Sussex, okay. which is actually the birthplace of Breakpoint when I first came back, Amazing. and that was the that was the birthplace of Breakpoint. Um, so basically, at the end of the race, instead of like people collecting the t-shirt or whatever it is, and getting in the cars and going, we're we're going to have a bit of an event. Everyone get together, talks with yourself yeah, yeah. and you know for it to be a bit of a community I love a it. bit of a well done and everything but really just to help people through that whole month of january we've got some good sponsors on board uh liars who are uh, the drink sponsor Amazing. they do non-alcoholic drinks and there's one i forgot which i'm going to get in trouble for but they're really good as well okay we'll insert, <laughs> we'll insert them into the thing i think it's amazing like and, and who would have thought are they two of the craziest bastards you know yeah. now bringing people together um for the power of sobriety yeah um, no, and, absolutely. and i'm really proud about it and i'm yeah. so glad that we connected yeah and ollie that is the benchmark for this series what yeah. a conversation yeah i've learned so much from that and i could sit and talk to you for hours but Likewise, um, it's been emotional mate and um <laughs> yeah thank you for for being here thank you mate it's been a pleasure legend I'm going to throw it out there. This has been one of my favorite podcasts today. And I know I could say this after every episode, but literally me and Ollie could sit here and talk for hours because he's just been through so much. But one of the biggest life lessons that I really respected the most was the bit where he talked about being at breaking point. And it's in those moments, in our darkest hours, that we learn the most about ourselves. And we find this new sense of inner strength. And I think that's what life is all about. It's all about growth. And Ollie's constantly putting himself in situations where he grows. And yes, he believes in comfort zones, but not for too long. It's all about pushing the limits and keep moving forward. And I think this episode has just been a massive eye-opener for me. Also, something I really took from Ollie was his awareness around his self-sabotage behavior in life, because I can really relate to that. And I feel like whenever something goes really well for me, Sometimes I look for ways to mess it up for myself. And that's something I'm becoming a lot more aware about. And I think Ollie shone a big light on that for me. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of the brand new series. Like this has set the bar for me. There are so many golden nuggets, life lessons, and so much value to be taken from this podcast. And I hope you enjoyed it. Please, please DM me on Instagram with any of your takeaways. Share anything on socials. I want to reshare it and make sure you stay tuned for another episode next week. And I will see you then for another life lesson with learning as I go. Massive thank you to Purposeful Podcast because without them, this podcast wouldn't be possible.